0: Welcome to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology. Many of our podcasts are accompanied by downloadable study guides and additional resources. You can access those either through our website at gsot.edu forward slash center or through the Grace app for your smartphone. And now, Saving Grace.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Imagine being raised a Muslim in the birthplace of Islam, Saudi Arabia. Imagine being a strong defender of the faith with a fascination for jihad. What would it take for God to get your attention and draw you to Jesus Christ? Well, our fascinating guest today will share that story about his life. We're so pleased to have with us Al Fadi, a former Wahhabi Muslim who is the founder of Sira International Center for Islamic Research and Awareness. Al is on a mission to introduce Muslims to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to equip believers with effective outreach tools to join him in his mission. Since the inception of Sira in 2002, Al Fadi has had the privilege of training thousands of Christians in churches, parachurch organizations, and various Christian colleges and seminaries. Our guest holds an MS in engineering from Arizona State University, an MDiv in biblical communication from Phoenix Seminary. He is a Ph.D. candidate at Melbourne School of Theology in the field of early Islam. Well, Al, we welcome you back to Saving Grace.
0: Thank you so much for uh, this opportunity for me to uh, share and to uh, interact with you and your audience.
1: Well, we've so looked forward to it. You know, Al, we're just wondering, for those who knew you growing up in Saudi Arabia in a town near Mecca, a holy site for Islamic prayer and ritual, how would they have described your Islamic faith?
0: Well, certainly they would have described my own uh, affiliation with the faith as being very devout. Um, obviously, not every single Muslim, as it, as is the case with any religion, not every follower of a faith will be very devout. Some, you know, that we label as nominal or cultural. Yes. And uh, that was the case with Islam, of course, and even the case with Muslims in Saudi. But what makes it is that even the nominal Muslim in Saudi knows so much about Islam simply because Islam is taught in Saudi at very young age in school and also in every corner, wherever you go, there is a mosque and everybody you interact with has knowledge of the faith. So with that in mind, um, I was, of course, not only just your typical Muslim, but as I was growing up, I began to be more and more devoted to the faith itself. So that's how people would describe me.
1: Mm. You know, you've said that you were fascinated by jihad and dying as a martyr. Uh, how were those things presented to a young young man uh, where that would become a fascination?
0: Well, of course. I mean, the more you learn about Islam, part of that not only is theological, uh, there is also the um, historical part of Islam. And uh, Part of the history of Islam, especially at the days of the messenger of Islam, is that Islam expanded and it grew in a variety of ways. One of it is those holy wars, the way it was presented at least, holy wars against those who rejected the faith. Uh, They were invited to accept Islam, they they turned it down, and uh, supposedly they antagonized also the Islamic community, and they were commanded, the Islamic community at least, by a divine order, um, multiple passages, if you wish, in the Quran, to fight uh, for the faith, to spread the faith. And there were rewards. Um, if you end up uh, living through the experience and winning the battle, uh, you have, of course, spoils and other things to enjoy. But what would happen if you die? If you die, you become a martyr. And uh, that's where uh, the fascination began to uh develop in my mind because of the rewards a martyr will receive according to the teaching of the quran or according to the teaching of the prophet it's it's unimaginable things obviously including mansions and including forgiveness of all of your sins no judgment uh, whatsoever and uh, being at the highest level of heaven paradise uh, a lot of maids and a lot of wives, and, and the list can go on and on and on. That, you know, for a young uh, person, uh, that would have been really uh, the ideal, uh, you know, uh, situation, uh, you yes. know, for what paradise might look like.
1: Wow, that, that is so interesting. Well, we know that you came to the West to complete your education. Uh, would love to hear what were some of the presuppositions that you had about people in the West, uh, particularly in America? regarding what they believed in their faith, et cetera?
0: Well, certainly, uh, you'll find this uh, true of the majority of Muslims. I don't want to say all of them, but the majority of them have these uh, so-called presuppositions about their understanding of Christianity. I mean, you'll be surprised. You can meet any Muslim today and ask him about Christianity, and they will not be shy from sharing with you what Christianity in their mind is like, which Mm -hmm. is... A religion today that has been corrupted from what Jesus intended for it to be. Uh, They will argue that Jesus was actually a Muslim prophet in every sense of the word. Um, No different than Muhammad, for instance, in his message and his uh, teaching. Uh, That the Bible is corrupt. And that's why, uh, you know, Christians elevated Jesus to become the son of God and even calling him God and God. Disclaim that he was crucified, and that uh, you are forgiven by, um, you know, the work of the cross, and the list can go on and on and on. So, so these are the presuppositions that I brought with me, and therefore, I was also expecting. I mean, sadly, I can say that Hollywood movies and Hollywood programs were my source of information about what Christianity would look like, simply because Muslims assume the West in general is Christian. They're born Christian. They mm. inherit a religion called Christianity, and of course, along the way comes these shows that present, you know, immoral actions wow. and you know, uh, extramarital affairs and and many other things that, of course. So, so I came, I came to the states with that mindset.
1: Yes. So it was that idea of well, what I see in the movies or television, that's what Christians are. That was that was how we how we were presented to you through Hollywood.
0: Exactly. Oh, wow. and, and certainly I wouldn't have been surprised if I encountered similar behavior, of course. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course. So when you came to America, were in, your, in the back of your mind, were you hoping to convert people that you met to Islam or you were just going to live your life and, and not let your faith be a, 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 a front, front road factor?
0: Well, well, certainly. I mean, as any Muslim, you really want to, uh, Islam is a religion of works, and, and uh, the more good deeds you accumulate, the better your chances are for uh, making it to heaven, of course. And uh, one of these ultimate good deeds is that Islam describes people who are non-Muslims as if they are slaves. It's kind of interesting, really. I mean, it's mm. Islam, by the way, borrowed a lot of uh, Uh, you know, terminology from the Bible and just uh, uh, turn it around and apply it differently. Yes. Slaves to sin. But in Islamic mind, if you're a non-Muslim, you're like a slave. And therefore, if somebody converts you to Islam, it's almost like I set you free from slavery. And there is a huge reward for that. So I would say, yes, Um, at some point, I was hoping to be able to successfully convert a person or two or whomever I am able to do that. But I wouldn't say from day one, I set my mind on doing this because I encountered issues at the beginning with language and communication. And and, and therefore, it's kind of like, slow down if you wish to plan.
1: Of course, of course. Well, I know in hopes of learning English, you started spiritual discussions with a family that identified themselves as born again. Talk a little bit about that relationship. In other words, did they uh, dispel any beliefs that you had about Christianity? Uh, Did they try to convert you?
0: Absolutely. You know, what happened is uh, the first couple of weeks, I sadly, I did encounter the so-called Christians in my mind who used, you know, the language that I expected them to use and the profanity and the Mm -hmm. jokes and things like that. So at this point, I wasn't surprised. But it wasn't until I with the use of idioms and how to apply them and uh, uh, at the recommendation of one of my teachers, I ended up uh, signing up with the, uh, uh, you know, the International Student's Office. Uh, they, they were kind enough to where they recommended, um, you know, to me certain ministries that I can hook up with. Uh, they don't call them ministries, of course. Uh, I mean, but nevertheless, one of those said, just fill out this application we have volunteers usually that uh, have also filled out their desires at uh, what what nationality or what ethnicity of type of students they, they like to interact with and build friendship with, and we'll team you up with them. And and at that uh, juncture, basically, I ended up doing this, and a couple of weeks later, I received a letter from this office telling me who is this family that will be in touch. And when I met them, that's when my eyes really opened up to the fact that they were totally different than everybody else I've met up until this point. Now in my mind they're Christian. I'm not. I'm not really surprised that, that uh, if they told me they follow Christ. Uh, but uh, what does that mean to me from my perspective? Right. I'm expecting you to be Christian, of course. Mm-hmm. But why are you different in a behavioral uh, uh, way, basically?
1: Yes. In a good way, in a good way. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Uh, Well, they must have earned your respect because they invited you to church uh, more than once, and you did give in. So talk about what prompted you to go, and and what did you hear?
0: Well, I mean, it's it's really, um, it's two families. The first family, uh, they never brought up, uh, they never basically brought up church into the equation what happened is they shared Christ and they asked me questions and they shared their journey. And uh, that was confusing to me when they began to dis- uh, tell me that they decided at some point to follow Jesus. And I'm like, well, I thought you were born Christian already. What does that mean? And, uh, and obviously they tried uh, their best to explain that to me. And I, it was really foggy. I mean, I couldn't understand uh, a whole lot of what they were trying to say. But later, I ended up meeting, of course, with others and then uh, another family in particular, where communication became much easier for me and uh, and that's when I start to understand the idea of being born again and the fact that yeah we thought we were christians but we decided later to follow christ and and I'm starting to get confused about that i mean so so there is more to the story of christ and christianity i said than meets the eye and uh, and it was this family that were kind enough to invite me to join him at church and initially i resisted but years passed by. I mean, literally twelve years from the time the first seed was planted by the first family to the time I agreed even to go to church. Wow! But when I attended church, you're you're right about your assessment of what you mentioned. I began to hear things uh, from the pulpit uh, that confirmed what the first family was telling me, uh, clarified what uh, the second family is teaching me, and all of a sudden I am starting to realize that. Oh, there is there is apparently a decision everyone has to make now because some people made decisions during the sermon. They stood up, they walked in to the front, you know. They they connected with some pastors, you know, and I'm I'm confused. Like at, they were at the church already. What what does that mean? They that they made a decision now. Right. So they, slowly and gradually things are starting to fall in place, and that took about six months mm. from May of two thousand and one until November of 2001, obviously September eleven, as you know, happened in the midst of that.
1: And that was and a turning was, point, right?
0: Exactly. Uh, it was the message that was shared from the pulpit that that weekend about loving your enemies and praying mm-hmm. for those who persecuted you. That truly turned my heart fully toward Jesus, because it's almost like I, it dawned on me why these born-again believers were behaving the way they're behaving and acting the way they're acting and that their love was sincere and genuine. I mean, at some points, I used to think, like, maybe they're just faking it. Maybe they're just trying to be nice, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's hard for people to be nice day in and day out. It was consistent in their behavior. But now the Scripture put it all in place for me.
1: Mm. Wow. Uh, Going back to the terrorist attack on 9-11— Uh, You you mentioned that that is something that really uh, opens your eyes to the fact that uh, Islam was not a religion of peace. Uh, How did that affect this change that was taking place in your heart and mind?
0: We have to be fair, of course. Uh, In the mind of a Muslim, as I was, you'll never, ever see a disconnect between the actions that Islam promotes uh, towards, let's say, dealing with the infidels or jihad or war against those that fight uh, the Islamic uh, agenda, and also uh, the concept of peace. In your mind, uh, there is always going to be peace for as long as Islam becomes the dominant worldview. I -hmm. mean, that's how you understand peace. But when you become uh, basically saved in Christ and your eyes open up, you begin to realize that's not peace. I mean, that's that's kind of like um, uh, you know a uh, an enforced type of peace. Uh, peace, you know, you mm-hmm. have to really use a sword to uh, to put it in place. Jesus, on the other hand, did not teach that. No. He actually gave literal peace. I can see it in the life of the people that I interacted with, and now I myself am experiencing it firsthand mm-hmm. when I accepted Christ, feeling that inner peace. Uh, in the midst of even turmoil, because I, I was faced with persecution immediately, uh, my own family's involved, I lost a lot of things, I lost a marriage. Um, mm, wow. So, But you still feel like there is peace, really. I mean, you're, you're understanding, based on the discipleship that I was receiving, that th- this is really granted for me as a believer in Christ to expect you know, things like this to happen. I yes. guess I'm on the right track, you know, and uh, <laughs> so, so your, your your understanding of peace changes.
1: Oh wow! Well, you know, you you praise the Lord. You mm-hmm. you came to know Jesus as your personal Savior, but you said for a time that you you quenched the Holy Spirit's tug on your heart. So how did how did God finally get your attention, Al?
0: Well, it was, of course, uh, I would say when I attended church. That's when the work of the Holy Spirit in me became very, very, very visible because I'm, I'm starting to process what I'm hearing in the message at a personal level. And I began to understand uh, what does it mean that people are making a decision to follow Christ and why they're doing that. What does it mean that... Uh, the Holy Spirit is convicting me of righteousness. That's something I never understood, honestly. Mm. Um, I mean, I understood the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in John, uh, basically uh, 16, about convicting the world of sin. I get it. Yes. Convicting the world of judgment. I get it. But convicting the world of righteousness, I, I mean, it was a little bit confusing. But then I later understood, I thought I was a Pharisee. I thought I was a righteous Muslim. I thought I was doing things according to the law of Islam. I thought I was a, a superior Muslim. And the Holy Spirit is telling me that's not what righteousness. Yes. Your righteousness have to exceed that of the Pharisees to be able to enter heaven. And mm. and, and only then uh, I got it. I, I realized that I have to make a decision. And it was not an easy one, of course. Yes. Uh, the sermon... An amount uh, during the weekend for uh, that that uh, you know followed the September 11th, uh, That's what triggered all of this emotion in terms of I have to make a decision. I start to see this vision. You can call it a dream if you wish. Yes. That God is uh, it's Judgment Day. I'm standing before the throne of God, and He just asking me a very simple question. Why did you reject my son? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In in other words, you know, you blew it. You you had a chance and you rejected him. What am I to do with you right now? I mean, I have no choice but to throw you in hellfire and uh, or separate you from me. And it it, it was really uh, troubling to me. And I get in this vision a couple of times. And uh, kind of like made me feel that God wants me to have an answer.
1: <laughs> yes, He does. Yes, He does. And He so loved you. He wanted you to be part of His family, and He wanted you to understand. You know, we, we hear stories again and again of Muslims coming to faith through a vision— uh, we don't necessarily hear that of other, from other, other people, uh, but certainly that of Muslims. And I just find that so fascinating because God knows what it will take in each person's heart to help them to know that they need a Savior and that Jesus Christ will be their righteousness when they, when they trust in Him. So, I so love you sharing that. Uh, To give, I think, also to give our listeners hope. They may have Muslim friends or family uh, whom they're praying for, and to know that God is working, even in visions and dreams, to get their attention. So, I appreciate that part of your story, Al. Well, we know that God drew you for his purposes and glory. Uh, and he gave you a ministry where you are now able to reach other Muslims for Christ. Uh, Talk about the motivation for you to get the truth to your people, Al.
0: Well, certainly, um, I mean, it's really a funny story, but I'll shorten it like within a minute or two. When I first accepted Christ, I was terrified of the idea that I need to reach Muslims now for Christ. And I'm like, no, 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 Lord, this is not for me. I don't want to reach Muslims. I don't want to reach Saudis. I'll, I'll serve you in any other way. And the Lord is like, I don't think so. Uh, you know, that's that's what I built you up for. That's where you come from. And that's where you will be ministering. So it's almost like I walked into the ministry to Muslims kicking and screaming. And uh, <laughs> that's typical, of course. And the Lord was patient with me. Slowly and gradually, I began to get discipleship. Slowly and gradually, began to grow in my faith and, and my understanding of theology and doctrines. And that led me to go to seminary, of course. I ended up, uh, uh, as a result of that, uh, developing this deeper appreciation for the Word of God. And I was teaching already at that time at churches, teaching seminars on understanding the, uh, Islam and how to reach Muslims. Yes. And the reason why that's crucial is that I said to myself, um, I cannot reach every single Muslim in the world. But uh, I can train others uh, to, to reach them, and uh, people have their own influence, sphere of influence, and some can reach one, some can reach hundreds, uh, based on whatever they want. Put. But I personally cannot do it all by myself, and then the Lord opened the door for media for me as well, and it, it was becoming clear that, yeah, you can reach a lot of Muslims uh, this way as well, but you still can equip others. through these media programs. And and slowly and gradually, I ended up basically having this full-time ministry uh, since 2010. Uh, That's when I lost my engineering job because of the economy at that time. And it was was almost God's timing for me and and direction that that's where I want you to be, full-time ministry. Don't worry. I'll take care of you. Oh. And I mean, uh, that, that's what he was saying. That's yes. not what I was hearing, actually. <laughs> no. I, was, I was worried. I was concerned. I was afraid, you know, and, uh, and now it's almost 10 years. Uh, and praise the Lord. So my ministry really is to equip the saints to reach Muslims for Christ and develop, specifically develop passion for them. Yes. Look at them as those who are lost in need of a pastor. That uh, you know, shepherd uh, to to pasture them and to uh, to lead them to the living water and 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 this is uh, the, the beauty about the ministry that I do. I do it in person. I do it in social media. Yes. I do it on satellite programming, and the list can go on and on and on.
1: And you know, Al, I, I haven't shared with you off the line, uh, but my husband and I attended one of your church workshops, and it was oh, fascinating. You and we have. Uh, use the tools, really, that you shared with us to share Christ with our Muslim friends because we have many, and uh, I just uh, just wanted to let you know how much your workshops meant to us, and I know that your online um, uh, programs do the same thing, and I want to encourage our listeners uh, to go to CIRA, C-I-R-A, international.com and uh, learn more about your fascinating ministry. Well, it is a fascinating story of God's grace, his love, his power to orchestrate circumstances, to draw people to himself. We'd love to have you back to talk about some of the differences between Islam and Christianity so that our listeners can really gain some information that will perhaps help them to reach a Muslim friend. So we'll look forward to having you back next time. Thank you, Al. I'll be honored, thank you. Our guest today has been Al Fadi, a former Wahhabi Muslim who now loves Jesus and desires all of his people to know Christ as well. Well, no doubt this program has been enlightening to you today and we hope that you'll want to join us the next time to learn even more. Be sure to download the Grace app to give you complete access to Saving Grace podcast, Grace Cafe, our event calendar, Bible study guides, and much more. You can get that link and also learn more about Grace School of Theology and Grace Center for Spiritual Development at gsot.edu that's gsot.edu so glad you joined us today remember the love of christ can never be earned and can never be lost